from you young men for being here. And uh, we need godly men in this day, and we need godly women. So God bless you, each one, for being here. If God were going to choose an earthly father for his son, what sort of person would he choose? Obviously, that's not a hypothetical question because God did choose. And so I have a couple questions for the children. How many of you children are five or six? Any five or six-year-olds here? Five or six, okay. All right. The young lady, you raise your hand. Do you know what Jesus' earthly father's name was? That's kind of a big question. Can you tell us what his name was? There's a conference going on. (laughs) What was his father's name? Do you want to say it? There's stage fright and then there's crowd fright. (laughs) How about the young man over here that raised his hand? He said he's five or six. Anybody that's a little older than five or six, you want to say? Joseph, thank you. Okay. Jesus' earthly dad's name was Joseph. And we aren't given many details about him, but we do have enough sketches from Scripture to draw some observations about Joseph's character. The title of the message today is Joseph, Guardian of God. And if you have a problem with that title, you're not the first one. (laughs) I'd like to go to Matthew 1, verse 18 and following for our text. Matthew 1, verse 18 and following. I should say it's also good to have my family here, my wife Heather. And we have two children. Caitlin is three and Hudson is 19 months And Lord willing, we're expecting our third one in January. It was a beautiful drive here this morning from Shippensburg. Matthew 1, verse 18, gives us a bit of the account of Jesus coming to earth. I'd like to read through the end of chapter, uh, verse 25. Matthew 18, chapter 1, verse, or Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is from the New King James Version. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. 
Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. What sort of man did God choose to oversee his son from infancy into independence? And furthermore, especially brothers, can you imagine receiving a charge from God? Young men, think about this. A charge from God to oversee his son. How would I respond to that kind of challenge? That command, that expectation, how would you respond? Would you continue doing the things that you are doing? Would you make any course corrections in your life if the Son of God were going to grow up in your home? When we look at Joseph's character, I believe we see a man who was devout. A devout follower of God. I really appreciated the opening this morning. It tied in, I believe, thinking about this matter of character, values, the uh, ways in which we live life. I believe Joseph definitely was specifically, specially chosen because of the character that he was exhibiting and showing. And so the question I ask myself, and I'd like you to ask with me this morning, is what are some things that we can learn about Joseph from the few details that are given us in the biblical accounts? First of all, I'd like us to notice the fact that Joseph was solid. He was solid. In verse 19, it speaks of him saying that Joseph, her husband, being a just man. A just man. This is the idea of somebody who is righteous. Their life conforms to the norm that God has for mankind, for men and women. When a person is just or righteous, it means that they're living exactly the way that God designed them to live. <laughs> I believe that that was character, uh, what, what characterized Joseph. It says that he was a just man. He was, he was rooted, he was grounded in what he believed. And I'm particularly picking on you young men this morning, but I'm calling you out. I'm calling you to think about Joseph in the light of your own life. And I'm, I'm challenging you. Young men will rise to a challenge. I'm confident that you young men will rise to the challenge. To consider Joseph and consider ways in which you can emulate or imitate or live the character that he demonstrated. And one of those character qualities was stableness, it was solidness, it was grounded, it was rooted. Now, I realize we live in a culture where many things are breaking down. Uh, of course, families are falling apart. Mothers and fathers are not staying together. They're not even getting together in the first place. Isn't that so? And so, it's important for us to look to people like Joseph and recognize, here is a man after God's standard. Here's a man that I can pattern my life after. We're not going to all have the same personality as Joseph. That's a good thing, actually. But we can all have uh, the character that Joseph demonstrated. So we see that this man had, had roots. He had roots in a family sense. You look earlier in this chapter, it gives a whole genealogy, doesn't it, of 
you know, he came from all the way back. <laughs> uh, he, he had those connections. King David, the patriarch Abraham, uh, Joseph's just an all-around good, solid guy. In fact, we might be tempted to think of Joseph as somebody who wasn't very adventuresome. I don't know what you think of when you think of Joseph, but just the steady Eddie, even kind of boring person. <laughs> who was this guy? We know that he was a carpenter. We we have that from the, the word. Are there any of you who are carpenters here? Any construction guys? Okay. I actually work for uh, a fella in construction and I don't, I do not consider myself a natural with my hands. <laughs> so it's been a real learning curve, but I enjoy doing a good job when I feel halfway competent. And we put on barn roofs and we put uh, metal on house roofs and things like that. Um, so we're involved in construction. I don't know if you'd call that exactly carpentry. And I think of carpentry as more of the finished work, cabinets and things like that. But Joseph was involved apparently in woodworking. And probably a hundred years ago, there was a man named Amos Wells wrote a book called Bible Miniatures. And he said this about carpenters. He said, carpenters are generally slow and serious people, but very substantial. That doesn't represent all carpenters, of course, but their characters partake of the sweet solidity of the material with which their, their lives are spent. You know, they're working with wood. As it is their business to fashion accurate angles to create joints that are perpendicular and horizontals that are exactly level, their thoughts tend toward justness and their actions to sobriety. As their work cannot be rushed, but the wood's resistance must be patiently worn away with plane and sandpaper, saw and draw knife, their tempers gain a placid persistence that overcomes obstacles quietly but surely. The fragrance of oak and maple and pine passes into their spirits and imparts to them an aroma and a tang. They are not talking to people, but have taken on the reticence of timber and the silent peace of deep forests. The world is generally ignorant of their fine qualities. They wear their rough bark on the outside, and the finer grain, the shimmer and the polish are within. They are folks that wear well, with an instinctive aversion to veneer, and an instinctive satisfaction with honesty and permanent strength. <laughs> Seems like Joseph characterize that sketch a little bit anyway. <laughs> I don't know if any of you Carpenter brothers also uh, carry some of those qualities. But I, I like that thought about Joseph, that the things that he was working with influenced his character and illustrated the sort of person that he was. Now, here's a pop quiz for you. Of all the things that Joseph said... Which of his sayings stick out to you the most? <laughs> Good question. You know, this is this is something to keep in mind when you're reading through Scripture, particularly reading narrative, reading about Joseph in the Old Testament, King David, Solomon, and then narrative in the New Testament and the Gospels particularly. It's good to ask yourself the question, when does the character first speak? And what do they say? For example, when does David first speak? When is he first given a voice by the narrator in 1 Samuel? When does the narrator unmute them? Or when does he give them a voice? When does he take the voice away? 
Okay, oftentimes that's a way of highlighting things about the character. That's why the the writer, the narrator, constructs the story the way that he does. And so your question is the excellent question, because there's not a single case in all of the three times, the, the three gospels of the four that mention Joseph. None of them give him a voice. Okay, <laughs> did Joseph speak? I'm sure he did. <laughs> I'm sure he had a fair amount to say over the course of his lifetime. But maybe the narrators muted Joseph to illustrate his reserve or to illustrate his character. A man of few words. We don't know. We don't have a a record of uh, anything that he said particularly. But I, I believe he had a lot to say, as most men do, if given the right environment and the right encouragement to speak. So, when God chose this man, he chose somebody who was just, somebody who was solid, a man of integrity. And yet, this is a man who could be moved, moved to obey, moved by feelings, perhaps, I believe so, by emotion. This brings us to our our second characteristic. We see in Joseph a man who was sympathetic, sympathetic. And young men, this is a characteristic that we need today. Um, In young men, young women, young women seem to exhibit it naturally, more commonly, but we as men need to be able to sympathize and identify with others in what they are facing and feeling in life. And I don't believe that Joseph was necessarily a a touchy-feely man, but I believe that he took feelings into consideration and considered the feelings of others. We see this In his actions toward Mary, in verse 19 it says, Not wanting to make her a public example, he was minded to put her away secretly. I I can't imagine the hurt and the shock that Joseph felt in finding out that Mary was with child. There's no explanation for it. It wasn't me. (laughs) I know it wasn't me. The only other explanation is Mary was unfaithful. It's the only thing that would make sense. But that was unthinkable. And so, what was Joseph supposed to do? <laughs> he is betrothed to Mary. This is, this is even stronger than engagement. You know, we have engagement these days in our culture and our time. But in order to get out of the betrothal, this, this was considered marriage. Uh, you might say second tier marriage. Marriage without benefits, so to speak. The the only way to get out of this wasn't just breaking the engagement or breaking the betrothal. The only way out was divorce. That's the only option he had. And so what is a just man of integrity supposed to do? When the only thing that makes sense is, this girl that I thought was going to be faithful didn't even keep our marriage covenant And so, this was not just a simple breakup. I'm sure that Joseph was concerned about what would happen to Mary as a single mother in a society that really did not appreciate and definitely looked down on illegitimate children. What was to become of her? What was to become of the child that she was carrying? Maybe Joseph himself would always be pitied a bit as, yeah, he's the one that got cheated on. 
I don't know. But Joseph was facing a difficult decision, and he wasn't only thinking about himself. He was thinking about Mary and what she was going to face. I believe he was attempting to, to dwell with her in an understanding fashion, as 1 Peter 3, 7 challenges us to do. Harold Martin admonishes, Sometimes husbands are short and snappy and quick with their speech. They speak with an irritated tone of voice. The husband must remember to speak with kindness and patience to his wife. After all, she left the love and security of her family and home to come and live with you. She took your name. She agreed to spend the rest of her life with you. It is the height of cruelty to speak to one's wife with an irritated tone of voice. I wish I could tell you that I've never spoken to my wife with an irritated tone of voice, but I'm guilty. And I want to do better by God's grace. I appreciate all that my wife has done to make our house a home and to leave her family and for us to build our own family. So Joseph is expressing care toward Mary. He, he, he has to put her away, but he wants to do so quietly, not make a big deal about it, uh, not make her out to, this, to be this terrible person, but just quietly, uh, undercover, so to speak, resolve the situation. He also demonstrated sympathy toward Jesus. You no doubt recall the account where Jesus accompanied his parents. He and his family went to Jerusalem when Jesus was 12 years old for the Passover feast. It was a, an annual family trip. They went every year as, as they could make it. And after they'd been there and experienced all of the festivities and things like that, the family went back home with everyone else except Jesus was left behind. <laughs> and it took a whole day, pretty much, for Joseph and Mary to realize Jesus is not with us. He's not with our family, our extended family, or our neighbors. He is just nowhere in the traveling company. And so they had to travel the whole way back to Jerusalem and then spent however long looking for him. And you'll recall that when they finally tracked him down, in Luke 2.48, it says, They were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. It wasn't just Mary that was tormented about Jesus missing. <laughs> Joseph was very concerned um, about where is his son? Uh, where is God's son? <laughs> of course, the story had a, a happy ending. But it gives us a glimpse into the feelings, the sympathies that Joseph expressed or had. And not only was Joseph solid and sympathetic, but we also see that he was steadfast. Now, how does, how does steadfast differ from being solid? <laughs> Maybe it's a difference without a distinction. There are similarities, definitely, but I think there are differences as well. I'm sure you've known people, I've known people who are solid people, but they really don't seem to have any momentum in life. <laughs> they're solid. I mean, you can count on them. Rock solid, but stock still, something like that. Um, you know, being good doesn't necessarily mean that you're accomplishing much of anything. And you might think of somebody that's steadfast as being, you know, stock still too. Especially since the word fast in this word doesn't mean speedy. It means fixed. 
Oh boy. <laughs> so somebody who's steadfast is fixed. Maybe you feel like you're fixed in your seat right now. <laughs> and the word stead means place. Uh-oh. Was Joseph fixed in place? <laughs> when somebody's steadfast, does it mean they're just, they're there, not doing anything? Well, thankfully, steadfast doesn't mean fixed in place so much as it means fixed in purpose. Joseph purposed to walk with God no matter what. He was fixed in his devotion toward God. That's what I'm, I'm calling you young men particularly to, to consider doing. To make the commitment to be steadfast, to be fixed in your direction, in your walk with God. Steadfast and stand fast do not automatically equal stand still. Because we see that in our text, Joseph was dedicated to obedience. No matter where that would take him, he would follow God. Some very strange and unusual twists for his understanding, for his culture. Things that looked very troubling and perplexing, but his purpose was fixed. And we don't have any talk from Joseph, but we certainly have walk when it comes to his life being illustrated or various facets of it in the various of three Gospels. He was diligent, steadfast in his responsibilities. In looking at his life, we can see several ways in which he was steadfast. One of them is he was steadfast in the law or in the laws. You recall from Luke 2, this is what we often call the Christmas story. Perhaps you read it Christmas morning as an annual family tradition. But it talks about the fact that there was this governmental decree that came all the way from Rome, way far away from where Palestine, Israel was. But Rome, the foreign power, was dominating Israel. Said everybody had to go to their various respective places to be um, counted for the census and taxed. And so that's what caused Joseph and Mary to travel from where they were in uh, Galilee down to the south in Bethlehem. So we see in Joseph a man who was a law-abiding citizen. Even though it's a foreign power, it's... uh, enemy government, so to speak, that's dominating the whole country. Didn't make any difference for Joseph. There's no excuses. Uh, He squares his shoulders like a man. He takes Mary on this 65-mile trip to Bethlehem as she is, of course, pregnant. We don't know necessarily how far along, but um, not easy in any case. But we have this demonstration for Jesus as he's from little on on up. (laughs) He sees his father being somebody who is law-abiding. I don't know what your father is like. I don't know if he was law-abiding or not. But men, I'm, I'm encouraging you, your children are looking to you to see how you respond to the law. (laughs) And they're going to respond to the law in many of the same ways that you do. The ways that you talk about the government, the ways you talk about the leaders, um, the national laws, and things like that, the policemen. Uh, when, you're, when you're talking about law enforcement, talking about police, in your private conversation, are you talking respectfully? Or are you speaking of them disrespectfully? It's a very important thing for us to be aware of and to think about. Because we as men influence how our children view the nation, the government, the authorities, 
And so we see in Joseph a man who was submitted to the leaders or the the law, the national law that he found himself under, even though people were being subjugated and occupied by this foreign authority. Joseph obviously also submitted to the religious laws. He was very much yielded to the expectations that the Jewish people faced. In verses 20 and following in our text, the angel gave Joseph a number of commands, including taking Mary as his wife, but also then naming the son that would be born to her, Jesus. In Luke 2, 21 and 22, there's, there's two separate but related instances of Joseph's submission to religious law, his steadfastness in covenant observance. Luke records, and when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So that's, that's one way which Joseph was observant and obedient. On the eighth day, which was typical and expected, that's when the child is officially given the name that they will receive and they're circumcised, brought into the covenant of Israel. Then the second instance says, the next verse there, Now when the days of her, Mary's purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So in the first instance you have this situation after eight days, naming and circumcision. In the second instance then after 40 days, um, when Mary would be cleansed from bearing a son, they go to Jerusalem to present uh, Jesus to the Lord. The question I have for myself and for you is, are we as steadfast in the law of Christ as, as Joseph was in the law of Moses? He was steadfast in the law. He was also steadfast in his labor. Are any of you here, this could include sisters, are any of you here uh, self-employed? You, you have your own business. Okay, we have a, a few here. I'm not. I work for a fella. But I appreciate those of you that have that initiative and that uh, just takes some real steadfastness <laughs> to push ahead and develop a business and keep it going. I, I affirm you in that. I think we see that in Joseph. As far as we know, he was self-employed. He was, he was doing the work. He was making it happen. And he, he took his work seriously. Uh, in Matthew 13:55, the people's question of Jesus was, is this not the carpenter's son? So they're identifying Jesus with his father by his father's occupation. Ravi Zacharias tells the story of being in India a number of years ago. He was there with his wife, and Ravi was supposed to speak to this uh, fairly large group of people, I guess. It was a prestigious uh, group. And the introduction went on for 10 minutes or so. And pretty well the entire introduction was about Ravi's father and the accomplishments that his father had carried out in his life. And then pretty much at the end of that introduction, they said, and here is his son to speak to us. <laughs> and Ravi said that his wife, Margie, had this stunned look on her face because she's thinking, well, my husband's the one that's going to speak. Can't they say anything about him? Uh, Why did they talk all about his father? <laughs> It's because in that culture, it is an honor for one's father to be held in high esteem and then for the son to be connected 
to what the Father has accomplished. And so we, we see a bit of this connection here uh, in what the people are asking about Jesus. This is not the son of the carpenter. There was a significant connection there. It's apparent that Joseph had passed on his knowledge, his skill, his trade, to Jesus. Because we recognize that Jesus also took up that line of work. In Mark 6, 3, the people said of him, Is this not the carpenter? Um, the son of Mary and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not all his sisters here with us. Indicating that Jesus, of course, had taken up, up this trade. We see that Joseph had a number of children. There were at least four other boys after Jesus' birth. There were at least two girls. It says a couple or several or are not his sisters here. It's in the plural. Um, so we're not sure how large the family was. But my understanding would be that Joseph passed on this understanding, this skill, this trade to all of his sons. Not just to Jesus, but um, that this was something he was steadfast in in teaching to all of his boys this honest work. He was also steadfast in his leadership, very diligent in overseeing, leading those whom God had entrusted to him. He wasn't just a bystander. It's it's very easy for us, especially for us as men today, to check out. Isn't that true? Because the culture around us really doesn't expect us to step up to the plate and be men and be the leaders in our home. And oftentimes, you women are just really good at being spiritual and doing the spiritual thing. So it's easy just to say, well, I'll let, I'll let my wife do it. She's the spiritual one. Or, you know, I'll let my mom do it. She, she has a connection with God. No! <laughs> God's not calling us to be bystanders, men. He's calling us to lead. He's calling us to step up to the plate. For us to be the spiritual ones, to be the steadfast ones. And so I'm calling you to this. Joseph was very careful in his responsibility. It wasn't loud and flashy, but it was something that was moving forward in obedience. We see that after the wise men had visited them in Matthew 2, you're probably familiar with the story, he was, uh, Joseph was again visited in a dream by an angel and said, take the son and his, his, his mother and flee to Egypt. And you know, once, once Joseph knew how God wanted him to lead, he led. <laughs> no sticking around. We're out of here. This is what God wants us to do. This is the way we're going. Immediate obedience and leadership. And God uses two more dreams later on then to give him direction in his life. And it's hard to, to direct a parked car. That's why it's important for us to be moving. Because <laughs> God directs people who are moving. Joseph was on the move, but he was moving with the understanding of where God wanted him to go. He was serious about this. He was uh, solid, sympathetic, steadfast. He was just. We've talked about that. And the fact that he was solid. We see that illustrated in the life of another of his sons, which is really encouraging. James, who became the first leader of the church at Jerusalem, gained the nickname James the Just. I like to think this because he saw it modeled in his father, Joseph the Just. What would you say is the opposite of steadfast? This might be a bit of a bunny trail, but I'm taking it purposefully. So we'll say it's a detour. It's a purposeful detour because it's, it's something that I really would like us to think about and I would like to address. And you're welcome to give some pushback and feedback 
um, to this matter. But when you think of somebody who has a, is fixed in purpose and they're steadfast, and then you think about the opposite of that, there are probably several antonyms, several several opposite words that would come to mind. I'm thinking about the matter of reaction. And I may be misusing this word a little bit because I was looking at the definition of it. Uh, so I'm going to be upfront about that. But I'm thinking of reaction or somebody who is reactionary versus somebody who is steadfast. And when I look at Joseph, I do not see somebody who is reactionary. <laughs> and what I mean by reactionary is reacting to the way he was raised or reacting to his past or what God was expecting of him. Joseph was not fighting his identity. He wasn't fighting his culture, his upbringing, his faith, the expectations of the strict, rigid culture that he grew up in. But he was raised with a strong identity and seems to have been very content in that identity. It didn't keep him from serving God, but it kept him steady in the midst of the twists and turns that popped up. In my own life, one of the best gifts that my grandfather and father have given me is, for lack of a better phrase, the lack of reaction. (laughs) And I'll just give you a brief background. My grandfather was raised Amish in Big Valley, which is here in Pennsylvania. He never joined the church. He wanted to go into mission work, which the Amish were not engaged in at that time. He went to Africa, to Ethiopia, as a builder. And he built schools and clinics and things like that under, I think it was MCC or Eastern Mennonite Mission, something like that. He met my grandma over there. She was a Mennonite from Indiana, and she was teaching school. And they got married in Ethiopia. And they served two terms of service there. And eventually they came back to the home farm in Big Valley. The whole family eventually became brethren in Christ. And my dad married a brother in Christ girl. I grew up in the brother in Christ church till I was four. And then my parents went to northwestern Ontario and served under Mennonite missions at a place called Poplar Hill. So for seven years, I was in the Mennonite swirl on the mission field. We came back home to the Brethren in Christ Church, and I then went to a four-year Bible college, which was a conservative holiness Bible college. If you're familiar with the Lebanon God's Missionary Church, it is their school, that denomination's school, where I attended for four years. I then proceeded to pastor a Brethren in Christ Church for ten years as a single man. And then I left that church. Um, I married Heather Martin from Shippensburg. And we attended a, a small church in the Lewisburg area after we got married. And then we moved to Shippensburg almost two years ago. And we joined Shippensburg Christian Fellowship, which is Mennonitish. <laughs> so, what I have is I have Amish. Mennonite, brother in Christ, Mennonite, brother in Christ, holiness, brother in Christ, Mennonitish. 
If I want to react to something in my past, I have plenty of opportunities to do that. <laughs> I could poke holes in all of those those groups. And even this group that I'm with. Now, maybe I missed it, but, but I really did not sense from my grandfather or my father, who's still living, I have never never sensed a sense of either superiority, because we're not that anymore, or we are this now, nor a sense of inferiority, because, well, we used to be that, but we're now we're this. I'm using that to illustrate the lack of reaction. And you might say, wow, well, you're reacting against reactionaries. Maybe I am. Okay. <laughs> um, but I, I don't want to. And, and the reason I don't want to is because I feel like it's so unhelpful and it inhibits us from making forward movement and progress. I, I think it's impossible, virtually impossible, to be both steadfast and reactionary at the same time. And so, particularly young ladies, I want to warn you, beware of the reactionary young man. He might be dashing and charming and all of those things, but if he is very unhappy with his identity, if he's very unhappy with where he has come from, you don't want to go where he's going, pretty much. I don't think you're going to want to. Um, you know, we, we talk about people who live in the past, you know, the good old days when people sat on the front porch and they played their instruments and whatever. And they just knew each other. Um, oh, they're, they just live in the past. They're romantics. They're romantics. But here's the surprising thing. Reactionaries also live in the past. Yeah. Because they're constantly making the past the reference point of what they're leaving behind and what they don't want to be and what they don't want to experience and what they wish they'd never had happen to them. And so the reactionary is constantly connected to his history because he's always making decisions based on opposition to what he didn't like about his past. And the problem is opposition is not a position. It doesn't give you a place to stand. It doesn't give the next generation a vision for the future. And the difficult thing is that no man can learn from the past or benefit from it as long as he is stuck there, whether he's living there as a romantic or reacting to it as a reactionary. Nobody can benefit from their past as long as they are either fighting it or living in it. And that would include an ungodly past. If you come from the New Age movement in your past, if you come from Wicca, if you come from... Um, Islam, if you're reacting to your upbringing, whatever it was, you will never benefit from the good things that you could receive from that upbringing if you have not resolved those issues and come to appreciate the good things. Now, I'm not saying that a person like this can't be a Christian. I'm just saying they're in for a rocky ride. And whoever goes along with them is in for a very uh, rocky ride because there's a very big difference between reaction and proaction. Very big difference. It's easy to poke holes in everybody else. It's another thing to decide that this is our identity. This is who we're going to be. This is where we're going to go. The one has the man running from something. And when you're running from something, you're going to go anywhere. But if you're running to something, then you know this is where I want to go. This is about being steadfast, fixed in purpose. 
There is no direction in reaction. There isn't, because it's trying to get away from. There is no direction in reaction because there's no room for reflection. And as Maxwell says, reflection is that thing that turns experience into insight. People have lots of experiences these days. They say, well, yeah, uh, experience comes with age. No, Maxwell says it doesn't. Sometimes age comes alone. You can have all kinds of experiences, but if you have not reflected on what those experiences mean and how they can benefit you, you won't gain anything from those experiences. I think of it a bit like driving a car. And you're trying to help somebody learn how to drive a car. Uh, how many of you young guys are car drivers back here? You got a few back there. How many of you want to be? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Some of these guys weren't telling the truth back there. All the guys want to be car drivers, right? Yeah, I want to drive a car. I want to drive a nice car. Well, what would you think, though, if you wanted to drive a car and your instructor, you know, whoever's giving you instruction on driving the car... They told you all the things you weren't supposed to do. You know, don't drive it in the woods. Don't drive it in the fields. Don't drive it in the guardrails. Don't and don't drive like so and so. Don't drive like her and don't drive like him. And you know, how am I supposed to learn driving by all the don'ts? Right? That's what reaction is like. Instead of saying, yes, you drive on the right-hand side of the road and you stay between the yellow line and the white line and you stop at the stop signs and you go when it's green and. You see the difference there, okay? <laughs> the end result of driving by reaction is I'll probably say, I'm not going to drive. It's too hard. I, you know, I don't want to make the mistakes that she did. I don't want to make the mistakes he did. And, and you know, uh, what do I do? How do I drive in the end? I'm optimistic that there is a way out of this destructive cycle of reaction. And I believe we see this in Joseph, the fact that he was not reactive but proactive. Uh, he was content with his identity. He struck out to serve God from that vantage point. He was a man who was fixed in his purpose. And I think there's something about Joseph that goes beyond even um, these facets that we've looked at. The, an underlying thing that kept him, we could call this a fourth point, if you will, the fact that he, this is boring, this is, we all expect this, right? Okay. He was spiritual. We've got people in this world that are solid, they're sympathetic, they're steadfast, but they don't have the underlying foundation. The fact is, Joseph was spiritual. (laughs) He was being driven by a very definite and real connection with God. And so when we contemplate his legacy, we see a man who, who was upright. He was righteous, but underneath of that was the thing that drove him, the thing that made him the man that he was. It completely destroys the myth that real men aren't spiritual. They are spiritual. (laughs) They're not going to be spiritual like the sisters. They have a special spirituality. But we men are going to be spiritual if we live the way that God designed us to live. And it's a good thing. We need the, the, the parts of the whole to come together for the broader picture. And so Joseph was a real man and he was spiritual. We've seen that at least four occasions, God used a dream to direct Joseph's steps. Joseph was sensitive to that. And you know, would God have done that just for any ordinary Joe or Joseph? <laughs> no. He's doing it for the man who is tuned in. He's awake. He's aware. 
And there are things about Joseph that make me believe he was an amazingly committed follower of the Lord. In Luke 2.41, speaking of Joseph and Mary, it says his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. His family went on a spiritual pilgrimage every year. <laughs> that's time off work. That's extra expense. That's lodging. That's <laughs> I'm not saying we have to take our families on a trip every year. Uh, all of it's vacation. I'm sure everybody's in favor of it. But to do something with our families that says this is important. Maybe it's a trip every week to church, right? That's what you're doing. I commend you for that. We, we get the family ready, get them out of bed, get them hopefully some breakfast and clothes and hair combed. It's difficult. But it's sending the signal to our families, to our children, this is important. This is worthy of our time. <laughs> That's what Joseph and Mary were doing with their lifestyle. And this was a culture where there's materialism, there's legalism, there's politicalism, traditionalism, all the isms that we have today, pretty much. And Joseph says, I don't care. I am going to Jerusalem every year. If possible, our family is going to be there. That's the kind of lifestyle I lived. That's the kind of lifestyle I'm calling you men to consider. Harold Martin says, we must remember that our faith in Christ becomes a real faith, a saving faith, only when it is validated by obedience. It is not merely he who attends church services each Sunday and says, Lord, Lord, that shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the heavenly Father. All we need, all of us need a frame of mind that is set to do the will of God and that is determined to carry out the instructions of the scriptures. That, that's the kind of spirituality that Joseph had. Young men, is that the kind of spirituality that you will adopt? Young ladies, is that the kind of spirituality you will adopt? I am determined to do the will of God no matter what it is. I don't know all that it means now, but I am determined wherever that takes me, I will go there. <laughs> this is what we see in Joseph. So in closing, am I suggesting that we should all try to be like Joseph? Should um, should every mother try to raise her son, her sons to be Joseph? Should every um, lady look for a Joseph? Um, should every wife encourage her husband to be Joseph? Well, that, that's not what I'm asking necessarily. If, if we were all Joseph, it'd be kind of boring. Just like if we were all somebody else, okay? <laughs> Especially talking personality. But there are character qualities, characteristics about Joseph, I think each one of us should seek to adopt and to live out. And that God chose him purposefully because of those qualities in his life. So, entire crowds of Josephs. What would that be like? Uh, I don't know. Predictable? Boring? Maybe? Uh, <laughs> but entire crowds of people. An entire church. Oasis Christian Fellowship in total. Living out the character qualities of Joseph with individual personalities also. Oh, well now that, that is something that would be beautiful. That's something that would be a blessing. And so we do need men and women who are solid. They're rooted, sympathetic, steadfast, fixed in purpose who are able to cultivate the spiritual stability and the trajectory 
that Joseph exhibited. And to that end, I say, oh God, raise up more men and women like Joseph. Brother John.